Welcome to the podcast of the fabulous Las Vegas Rotary Club. My name is Jacqueline Thornhill, and I am honored to serve as the 97th president. Our club focuses on youth, children's literacy, and we support our active duty military and veterans. We meet on Thursdays at Lowry's at noon. For more information, please visit LasVegasRotary.com or follow us on Facebook at Las Vegas Rotary Club founded 1923, where you can watch a live stream of our weekly meetings. Please enjoy this week's speaker. Uh, Jim Lucy and Audrey Damani are uh, both members of what is uh, getting to be a smaller and smaller club. They are uh, lawyers who are born and bred in Nevada who have dedicated themselves to remaining in Nevada and serving the people of Nevada. And what's even more unusual these days is that they are members of uh, one of the last remaining 100% Nevada-owned uh, full-service business law. I'm going to tell you uh, some stuff about them that you won't find in their bio. First of all, Audrey, in addition to being a lawyer, is uh, a rancher. She and her family uh, have uh, ranched lands uh, in northern Nevada. Ranch? Is that the right word? Ranch, ranch lands in northern Nevada for uh, over 100 years. Jim Pusey came to the law after uh, a career in professional baseball. He spent several years with the St. Louis Cardinals organization uh, and also was a member of the 1983 USA National uh, Baseball Team, which medaled in the Pan American Games that year. They say that there are two things that you should never watch being made, laws and sausages. Um, I can't say anything about the second, but I can say something about the first, and I know it's an ugly process, but it's an important one to pay attention to. So fortunately, we have uh, Jim and Audrey here today to give us an update on this past uh, year's legislative session, give you some updates on the new laws that have been passed here in Nevada that are going to affect uh, not only our businesses, but also our day-to-day -day lives. It's a very important subject, and I'm so uh, pleased and proud to have my colleagues here with me today. Please welcome Jim Cousy and Audrey Dumont. Thank you very much for having us. Um, when is right, the, uh, uh, the legislative updates and, and everything that uh, uh, is attached to the legislature, it gets to be a mess, especially in our state, because uh, they only meet every other year. And it's only for a period of 90 days. And during the course of this last 90-day period, they managed to, to wedge almost 1,100 bills into a 90-day period. And they successfully got through 500 and that were actually passed. So as you can imagine, the amount of attention that, that goes into uh, uh, some of the lawmaking um, isn't what we would probably think is appropriate for that to happen. So it becomes very, very important that if there is something that's related to your business or something that's related to you individually, that you have a voice. 
And uh, uh, Audrey and I are lucky enough to be up in the north end of the state, up in uh, uh, Reno, and specifically in Carson City. And so, uh, for better or for worse, we get our opportunities to kind of watch up, uh, go out there and as Glenn said, see the sausage made. So, of those 1,100 proposed bills and roughly 600 passed bills, we grabbed 20 of them. Uh, I'm sure there is some bill on there that you might have some interest in that we are not going to be able to get to today in you know, the short amount of time that we've got. And uh, uh, for that reason, and to, to say it up front, as Audrey and I are both, make sure that there are some business cards that you can get in touch with land. I'd be happy to answer any questions as far as it goes. But we figured the easiest thing to do is we kind of stay on track as to what's going on because making law is really kind of a foreign topic, if you will, is everybody I, I hope has got access to the little handout that we've got there. And what we've done is we've kind of put the, the 20 highlights that we want to hit on there and kind of walk through and give you a little bit of a background of not only what is happening in this particular assembly bills and Senate bills, but also tell you kind of what the net effect is of how it's really going to affect us. So, Kind of without further ado, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and, and start, if you will, at the top. Um, I apologize, I'm turned upside down. There we go. All right, first one that, uh, that we've got is, is the issue concerning uh, Senate Bill 551, the payroll tax rates. And, and this is very typical of legislation. I thought it was a great one for us to go ahead and start with because we always say that we're going to put in a, a particular rate increase or tax increase or fee increase or something like that for a specific purpose. And don't worry, it'll sunset out and disappear. Everything will go back to the way it was once we've accomplished our purpose. Well, our very first one shows that, once again, we might have fallen for it. Payroll tax rate increase, if you'll see, it were previously increased with an expiration date. No, now they've been indefinitely extended. So the payroll taxes that you were currently paying that were for a special purpose originally, they are now extended in perpetuity. Um, yeah, it was passed out about 10 years ago, and every session they decided that they would, oh, let's go ahead and put the sunset provision in, and each session they would consider, well, this session they actually took out any sunset provision and going forward, those rates will remain similar unless they're changed by the next session. I think they get tired of uh, dealing with the most extended part of the two-year period finally just so much to me then. Um, the next one that, that we would like to touch base about is AB 556, or 456, and this is, is important to literally everybody here because everybody is either a business owner or is working or has children working or something, and this is Nevada's version of kind of keeping up with the balance of the country with the uh, higher minimum wage. And how Nevada is going to go ahead and do this, and this is in private employment in Nevada. Um, it hasn't, you know, the, the effects of what uh, uh, what might happen from a public entity standpoint is completely fleshed out yet. So this right now is for private entities, which encompasses about 90% of the state um, This is effective July 1st of 2019. And what, is going to, what it says is basically, over the course of the next five years, the state of that is going to gradually keep raising their minimum wage until we hit the peak $12 per hour. Um, currently, the minimum wage is at $8.25, and it's going to incrementally increase over the course of the, uh, uh, the next five years to uh, go ahead and reach that $12 per hour. Now, 
there's a little bit of a twist in it because of all of the affordable care stuff, the requirements that people need to be uh, insured, things of that nature. Right now, minimum wage is $7.25 if you're providing insurance, $8.25 if you're not providing insurance. And both of those will start to increase. The first, um, the first step is a 75 cent increase on July 21st of 2020. And they will go up each year until it finally hits $12 if you're not offered health insurance, and $11 for those who are offered health insurance, and that step up will finally be in full force by the year of 2024. So that is how Nevada has taken on this uh, increased uh, uh, minimum wage, and it's going to have an effect on it. It was hotly contested at the legislature. One of the questions uh, that was continually raised was whether the people that are receiving tips, whether uh, they should be moved up to that rate or they would be exempted from it. And um, they ended up at all employees, they didn't exempt tip employees. Um, some employers testified that it's hard to get um, employees to work the non-tip jobs when you know with it when they have a minimum wage of twelve dollars and uh, receiving tips. But uh, the legislature when they at the in the end they voted to go ahead and move adopted to a financial And then one of the things that they also did is adopted another joint resolution where um, to put on to change the constitution to put it on the ballot. It will have to be passed the next session and then be voted on by the people. But what that does is it will actually increase it automatically from the vote of people to twelve dollars. And so it could um, end up circumventing this bill depending on if that process passes, but they started that process as well. Yeah, I think what Andrea said is this is kind of the ultimate potential backup plan. We're also going to put out a uh, question that might be $12 a week. So the event that that doesn't pass, they got legislation on the books that will be permitted to be set in this. Well, yeah, one other thing that they did with this bill is that they created a, a right for people to sue. So when an employee can sue, they feel that they're not being paid what they're supposed to be being paid. Um, they have two years to sue their employer. So, um, and if they are successful, then they're entitled to all of their attorney's fees and costs as well as the back pay and any other benefits that they're entitled to. And that's why I kind of preface this thing at the very beginning is that's why it affects really everybody because it's not going to be about should someone have got an extra 75 cents over the course of the 40 you know, hours that they worked. That, that is a number that is manageable. What it gets to be is it gives them the attorney's fees and costs. And they don't have to win big, they have to win. And so that is where there could be a, a real serious impact on employers. Um, that kind of segues us into the next one, which is SB 166, about ensuring equal pay for equal work based on gender. And this would seem nonsensical in this day and age, there's no doubt about it. Law makes an unlawful, uh, an unlawful employment practice for failing to provide equal pay to all genders for equal work and provide civil penalties and fines for violations. Well, what this has basically done is the Nevada Equal Rights Commission, it's, it's given them some if you will, in the event that these things aren't done. They can, uh, uh, there's, there's going to be a tiered uh, schedule for the number of violations and how frequently they, they occur for going ahead and, uh, and uh, violating this provision and also allows the person who believes they've been violated uh, or to that there's been a violation it allows them to file a, a lawsuit within 90 days if they have let the uh, 
Uh, let's do this. I'll, uh, I'll talk a little bit louder. I've never been accused of talking too quietly. So uh, um, we're talking about equal pay for equal work and under gender. So there shouldn't be any difference between males and females. But since something, as I mentioned, that, that makes a lot of sense in today's day and age. However, why they put this in place is to cure what wasn't happening in the past. So if you have got a male and a female that were somehow different in the past, not only does it say that it needs to be going forward equal, but you need to also rectify the difference between the two that was in the past. So there's a built-in kind of hidden cost to this one that goes in there. Because it's equal pay going forward. There's nowhere that it says that we're going to make it equal for all the younger people who are getting into it. It says equal pay for equal work and equal gender. So it's raising some interesting for goofballs like Glenn and Audrey and I, who you know who, who do this stuff. It raises some very interesting legal things. Does that mean that you have to rectify all the discrepancies in the past, or does that mean from this point forward you go on? Interesting things that come up with people on their face don't necessarily think of that can have a huge effect on the cost of doing business. Um, How far do you go back? Well, I think what the thing is, is it's not right somebody a, a lump sum check to catch them up if they have been paid $30,000 less over the last 10 years, for instance. But what it is, is if Audrey's making $100 more than I'm making because she is in a, a, an all-female group that says, you know what, we think that we should pay females more than we should pay males, okay? From the point forward, if we hire males and females, we need to pay everybody the same. But you also got to get this guy who's a hundred bucks short caught up with everybody as well. So it's not go back in time, but it might be raise that person who's a hundred dollars less in pay, raise them a hundred dollars as well. Yeah, it, it, and that's what it is. As is, Audrey is said, it's evaluating all your employees, and there's but there's a built-in hidden cost that's in there that you know, boy, if you've got a good size operation and you've got a hundred employees and you've got fifty males and fifty females, it's not only everybody that you hire going forward has to be equal, but you now need to make your fifty males and fifty females equal if they're doing the same thing as well. So that could be a big chunk right out of shoot once this thing gets initiated. And if you look at it, this, this starts effective January 1st of 2020. So if you're in a situation as far as that goes, you ought to start looking for a little bit of a nest egg because you're going to have to catch everybody up. This doesn't mean just going forward. It means everybody who's currently with you. Yeah. Businesses were leaving California to come to Nevada because of the tax problems. And now we're reversing it and sending them back. Well, I... Sometimes my tongue swells when I get asked questions about folks coming from California and here and going back and why they do it. But um, yeah, we, we certainly have got a, uh, a huge effect on our state government by our big sister right next door. There is no doubt about it. The influence of the Californians coming in is undeniable. Whether that's good or bad is a different topic, but the, the effect is undeniable. There's no doubt. And, and during this past session, because all three, the assembly, the senate, and the governor are all of the same political party. That changes the dynamic. So a lot of this legislation 
you don't have the checks and balances on the other side with another party. Um, it works really well when you have the D's on one side, the R's on the other, or the Republican governor, you know, somebody that can take a look at some of these things and say, hey, this is kind of productive, you know, to what we're doing over here. But when we have, as we will for the next um, session as well, we have all three um, key um, people all of the same party. So, um, Laws will change. There's something that there's no way around. Um, the next one is pre-employment drug screening. We know that uh, marijuana is, is, is a big thing going on, whether or not it's recreational marijuana, uh, whether or not it's uh, uh, medical marijuana, whether or not you can do what you're going to do with employees based upon it. The very first one that's talked about what you're going to do in employment context is this drug screening. What basically it said is that an employer cannot refuse to hire a person simply and solely because they test a positive for a marijuana test. An employer is not entitled to do that. Let me, let me finish this and get the caveat to it, and then I'll be happy to, to, to answer the question. Interestingly, this doesn't apply to persons who, and this, this is going to be very broadly interpreted, I'm sure, by employers, to people who drive a vehicle in their job role, doctors, and firefighters. I guess attorneys and cops are okay, but you know, <laughs> the doctors and firefighters, um, and people who drive a vehicle in their job. Your guess is as good as anybody's at this stage and what that means. Um, but those, uh, those folks are going to be immune from it. But um, at least as this is on the books, and, and keep in mind, all new legislation is going to wind up in the courtroom somewhere at some point in time to see what these you know, kind of murky thoughts and words actually mean according to our Supreme Court. But as it is right now is, you can go ahead and give someone a marijuana test, but you cannot deny that person or refuse to hire that person solely because of the results of that marijuana test. Here's my question. You can have drug policies within your company, so once they're hired, they would be required to follow the drug policies. But for the purpose of hiring them, because the, I guess marijuana stays in the system much longer than alcohol. I, I don't know how long, but I guess that was the reasoning of some of the legislators. Well, I hope they got really looked at me, but yeah, I think it's up to four days before it metabolizes out. And depending upon some reports, you get to two weeks in the system. So what they're saying is that is such a loose, uh, you know, uh, a metabolism rate is, is so loosely defined that we're not going to say that that can be um, moving on, the, uh, uh, the Nevada Equal Rights Commission directives and statute of limitation changes. Basically, all this is saying is that the Nevada Equal right, um, Rights Commission is they, how the process works is you have to go before them first, and you have to get a right to sue letter before you can go. You just can't have employees or employers right out of right out of shoot. We've got kind of a screening panel, if you will, and. What, what has happened with a couple of different pieces of legislation, but kind of the center point of, of this one is this SB 177, is it has affected the length of time that you can wait until you can file an action, and also has addressed um, those right to sue notices, what they need to entail, what they need to include, and how soon they need to come out. Um, just a, a lot of, of, of ministerial stuff, it really hasn't changed the status of the law. Um, employees still need to get a right to sue that employee department. Yeah, just keep in mind the dates, the time frames have changed uh, for 
I was doing different things of that nature. And um, they're supposed to be notified of those um, time limits by you know. And the, um, keep in mind, when we put it in red so it would pop up, is every one of these statutes, well not every one of them, but they're, they're grouped, they take effect at different times. It isn't like everything starts up like in January afterwards or whatever. Some start now. And so um, if, if you've got to uh, you know, run into situations as far as that goes, be very aware of when the new laws kick in. Some start you know, immediately in, in 2019, October 1st. Some start the first year. Some don't start until July of next year. So this is, you're looking through it, something seems to pique your interest, and um, know that uh, uh, there's different start dates for those. Um, next one we, we wanted to point out is the paid leave. This is, a, a, is an interesting one because um, as employers, you sit there and start looking, okay, what do I do with this, this PTO, this paid time off, and how's it get accumulated? What, you know, how, how is all these things happening? Well, you know what? No, that's too difficult, I'm not going to go ahead and do it. Well, sorry, that's not the answer anymore. Now the answer is, says if you employ more than 50 people, this is what you must offer. And it walks through the, this scenario. What it says is must offer at least 40 hours of paid leave per year. And then it says that the way that they would make people, you guys all remember the, the Arnold Horshack thing on uh, Welcome Back, Carter, where he'd come in and said, Arnold's you know, not here today, he's sick, here's a note signed Arnold's mom. That doesn't work anymore. So what, what folks used to do, employers used to do, is said, if you're going to have some time off today, if you're sick, you need to show up at work, and I need to see if you're actually sick before you go home. The state has said, sorry, that isn't going to fly anymore. They don't need to show up here sick at work, um, uh, you know, before, uh, or, or even inform their employer, because we're going to give them up to 40 hours in these situations over 50 employees. They can use them for whatever they want. And other the impact, you know, in the mathematical formula. Well, they started doing it at point zero one ninety three hours um, for each hour of work performed and um, up to 40 hours per year. That 40 hours they're entitled to roll over by statute now, 40 hours of the paid leave. So they can roll over to the next year um, up to 40 hours. And also they, um, they, they, after 90 days, they can start using their, their title by law now, after 90 days to start using that uh, time off. Yeah, you, 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 we all you know remember times when it was like, well, now you got to work here for a year before you're really entitled to any time off, things of that nature. Sorry, it starts accruing 90 days now. And they can start using it as soon as they accrue it. They accrue two days, they can use two days. They don't have to wait until a certain amount is there. And if they want to save up, once they get to 40 hours and roll it all over the next year, and suddenly they got 80 hours next year, they can do it. So it is, is really making a, a you know, a change in, in the uh, uh, the employer-employee relationship. Is that part of the And and keep in mind that that it's also um, this this kicks in also for a, um, for situations with over fifty employees, so it's larger employees. But, but one of the things that you also need to keep in mind that there's a number of pieces of legislation that are not listed here where they're very concerned about misclassification of employees. If they're really full-time employees, but you're keeping them as temporary employees or independent contractors, 
uh, there's bills that are trying to address those issues so that people are receiving the benefits that they're entitled to. Uh, the last one that was, uh, uh, we thought was, was of interest in this kind of employment uh, arena is the injured worker uh, scenario. Uh, there have been things where there have been companies that say that you're hurt, you'll see our doctor. And this is the doctor that the company uses and you're going to go work with them no longer. Um, it, uh, it's just phased out and, and it's not allowed anymore. An injured worker can take any doctor or chiropractor that they want to go to. Um, if they want to choose something that's not in a network plan, they want to choose something that is in a network plan. They want to go to their uncle or their aunt, whatever they want. There's not a company doctor that you must go to. And in fact, the statute specifically states that they have a substantive right and it's a substantive benefit. So it says that this is a right of an employee. It's not just something facing, you know, facing something else or changing something. It's making it a right of an employee, which, of course, every time there's rights and there's violation of rights, then there's possible lawsuits or um, complaints that get any other Is this a workman's compensation directive? <laughs> it's part of the, well, it affects the workers' comp. Yes, it is. You're the workers' comp. You go to see the doctor you want that's workers' comp. That Correct. Is responsible. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, all right, moving on kind of out of the employment arena to uh, uh, something because we're talking about injured workers. Uh, moving on to health care and AB 170. Um, that starts talking about the, the pre existing conditions that you see on there. Basically, what that's done is it just incorporates everything that's happened federally with the Affordable Care Act concerning pre-existing conditions. They want some continuity because, um, you know, especially, honestly, in a city like Las Vegas, where you're relatively close to the California line, or if you're up in Reno, you're real close to the state line. So there are several companies that, if you're a construction company working up in Lake Tahoe, it just depends on what side of the county line or the state line that you're on. And so what they didn't want to have happen is somebody who lives in Truckee, California, and somebody who lives in Verdi, Nevada, they only live a mile apart, they didn't want them to be completely or differently treated concerning the pre-existing conditions. So let's adopt what the feds have said for pre-existing conditions under the Affordable Care Act, or under the, uh, uh, yeah, the Affordable Care Act. And that would be interesting to see because, as you guys all watch, there's rumblings about what's going to happen to the Affordable Care Act federally. So um, Nevada is just trying to uh, uh, you know, not be off on an island all by themselves, and we are going to at least follow what the feds have said for pre-existing conditions so we don't get any more hot water. I think that was as much of a protection thing as anything else. Um, AB 469, emergency room health care providers. Uh, and what, what this one says, because as you can imagine, when you're in an emergency situation, something bad happens. The last thing you're doing is pulling out your wallet, checking your card, calling in your claims rep, saying, am I in network? And you're in the middle of having a heart attack or a stroke. We need to get some medical care in. And what this does is this says that uh, um, that out-of-network uh, you know, care to patients um, for, uh, for out-of-network hospitals is they can bill at in-network rates, and then they have to work out whatever the differences are with the person's insurance carrier, not with the patient. So in some out-of-network situations, if, if, you, if something happened to you and you're out-of-network, your bunch says, you got a $1,000 deductible, okay, you paid that, and we'll pay you know 20% of it up to 10,000 bucks. 
And some care flight situation said, well, your flight costs $200,000. And so what they will do is they'll turn around and they will say, I'm coming after you personally, patient, because we provided the service to you. Thanks, insurance company, for paying a portion of it, but we're not walking away from our balance. And it is put, as you can imagine, a lot of individuals in a lot of economic stress. So what this is trying to do is say, listen, you in-network and out-of-network disputes, you guys, go figure that out amongst the carriers, leave the patient out of it, which my humble opinion seems to make some sense. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I really don't have much to add to it. Other than it would, it would be interesting to see how those costs are passed on somewhere along the way, they'll probably be passed on, whether it's you know, through higher insurance premiums on the carrier side or for the emergency room services. Who knows how this will all play out, but... Um, the $400 um, the, the next two, and we're gonna run out of time as I knew we would, you can imagine, but there's a couple of things under their maternity care. Um, basically, it's going to say maternity care is going to be passed over for a surrogate care in the child of another. That was an area of the law that people weren't, didn't know if you're actually a mother or you're not, you're caring for somebody else. This helps clarify that. Medical marijuana, it says these are uses that you can also have for medical marijuana. It talks about anxiety and autism, which changed the list. This loses a little bit of its effect now that recreational is passed because you can get it regardless. But um, in the event that there is some kind of federal regulation that comes down, they don't like having recreational marijuana and leave medical marijuana, they find it best to have a better exhaustive list of things that you can use prescribed marijuana for. Well, then as an employer as well, when a listed on parent your employee has a medical marijuana card and falls within any of these categories, you have to be very careful how you handle those employees so that you're not that is fine. You know, again, as you can see, we're probably two-thirds of the way through the list. Um, Audrey and I are certainly around to touch bases with them, look through uh, the things that are there. If you've got any questions, we certainly got business cards that we'll get to you. Um, it was a busy session, to say the least. Um, and a lot of things that have come down, we try to pick the ones that will affect business folks the most. So thank you. Thank you very much. We hope you enjoyed the latest podcast from the Las Vegas Rotary Club. For more information about future meetings, membership, and our local service projects, please visit lasvegasrotary.com. Now please go out, take action, and connect the world.